0: happy hour with Julie and Liz.
1: So Liz, yes. Per usual, we are starting off the podcast with some happy news. You are going to be super excited to hear this. Okay. It looks like we finally are going to have a vaccine for uh, the Wuhan flu, coronavirus, COVID. Chinese virus. The Trump virus. (laughs) The Trump virus. <laughs> So the vaccine that we have been told we must have, we cannot emerge from our homes without mass vaccinations of the population, finally is coming to fruition per an announcement yesterday with the U.S. government uh, will purchase 100 million doses of this vaccine that they hope to start administering for free. Even though the U.S. government is paying $2 billion to buy the vaccines, we still get them for free. How great a deal is that?
0: That's fantastic. (laughs) That sounds like a great deal.
1: And even better is the company who is manufacturing and distributing the vaccine, which is Big Pharma Pfizer, P-F-I-Z-E-R, Pfizer.
0: Oh, that rings a bell, Julie. Do tell me more about Pfizer.
1: Really? What? <laughs> why? What? Well, uh, you sound suspicious. You sound un-uncustomarily skeptical. What could well, be? What? Why? Why could this be? All I have to
0: ask, Julie, is qui bono? <laughs> In Latin, that means who's benefiting? <laughs> For those who Thanks. I I thought that was
1: Spanish. Okay. Thanks for clearing that up. No. (laughs) Well, you know, Liz, this is totally a coincidence. I can't even believe that you're raising this as a question.
0: I'm sure it is a coincidence, Julie.
1: One of Pfizer's board members is Scott Gottlieb, your favorite. I know. What?
0: (laughs) Wow. Is that the same Scott Gottlieb who is always on the media talking about the virus, even though he no longer works for the federal government? That Scott Gottlieb? Yes. Purely
1: (laughs) coincidental that that Scott Gottlieb for the past four months has been stoking the panic porn about coronavirus, using his credentials as the former FDA commissioner to do so. And Just coincidentally, happens to sit on the board of Pfizer. Has he been telling people that they can't leave the house until
0: there's a vaccine? Is that what he's saying in the
1: news? (laughs) So in March, as this whole thing started to unfold, he told, um, said on Face the Nation, March 22nd, life's never going to be perfectly normal until we get to a vaccine. Wow. As you know, his Roadmap to Reopening that he authored also in late March of uh, 2020, uh, as his role, this is a super busy guy. I don't know how he manages all of this, but he's also a fellow for the American Enterprise Institute, and he authored the Roadmap to Reopening, which concluded with, we can get our lives back after there's a vaccine.
0: Wow. It's, it's all coming together now for me, Julie. <laughs> it's all coming into place right now. And you know, I don't know about you or I kind of do now because we're friends, but I am not going to be first in line to get this vaccine. Um, and I'm not an anti-vaxer. I have been vac. I was vaccinated as a kid. I was vaccinated a couple years ago with the pneumonia vaccine. so I'm not against vaccines. I am, however, against very hastily, like, put together uh, injections in medicine. Um, I feel like whoever gets this vaccine is basically going to be a beta tester, Mm -hmm. and I'm just not interested in signing up for that. I don't know. And it doesn't matter what company comes up with the vaccine. The fact that we're doing this super fast makes me very nervous.
1: No. Well, and I think that, and I'm not an anti-vaxxer either. I vaccinated my kids. Um, we don't do the flu shot just because. I, I don't either. I, I just don't like the whole idea of it, but I know people do. Uh, and if you're in a high risk category or certainly your teacher, et cetera, you should, or a healthcare provider, it makes sense. Um, but this is, so this is part of, aside from Gottlieb's grift on this, because Pfizer stock went up 4% yesterday. Ching. Wow. I'm I'm all for people making money too. Nothing against that, but the conflicts of interest on this are are pretty egregious. But um, even more disturbing. So this is part of the government's Operation Warp Speed, which is this public-private partnership developed to get a vaccine as quickly as possible. So in their statement announcing this, Pfizer and another company, BioNTech, um explained how they have had two trial vaccines that have received fast-track approval from the FDA. God help us. Um, And pending further testing, the companies will seek emergency regulatory approval as early as October.
0: Hmm, yeah. I'm going to nope out of that. I'm going (laughs) to nope out. Um, They should call it Operation Russian Roulette. But they can't because it says Russia in it. But I just, you know, obviously, I don't want the virus to spread. I don't want people to get sick. I don't want people to die. I want our life to go back to normal. I also don't think that we should be rushing something this serious for approval, something that tinkers with your immune system. It just seems like a premise of a science fiction movie.
1: It really does. And furthermore, Scott Gottlieb yesterday, just hours before the news broke about his company getting this big deal with the, um, with his company, he explained on CNBC, where he is often uh, contributing, that this is going to have to require more than one vaccine because this coronavirus is seasonal.
0: Well, also... Don't you think the Pfizer stock can go up more than just 4%? I mean, <laughs> I of so. course you're going to need multiple vaccines, a multiple, like, I don't know, what are the courses, boosters? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, um. yeah, this is super fishy. And I also really want to emphasize that, I again, I'm not against vaccinations. Vaccinations are good, but... This seems like it's super fast, and that means it's too fast to see what, like, long-term consequences are in case this thing doesn't work. Right. So this just makes me very nervous. And because the narrative is that we have to stay shut down until there's a vaccine, everybody's put all their eggs in this basket when – it's actually, that's not true. We don't need to shut down until there's a vaccine. So that's the problem is that so, that's a lie that people have bought into and that even to some extent, I think Trump has bought into it, you know, and, and now this is the new, this is what we're working towards this is the vaccine. We're not entertaining any other ways of, you know, living among this virus.
1: And let's talk about that now. Donald Trump um, restarted the coronavirus updates this week. And during his first uh, presentation, first uh, briefing, he implored all Americans to wear a mask. Um, as you know, I've been a longtime opponent of masks. Even you and I, we all started talking about it. I think it was late February about masks, and I certainly understand why some people want to wear them, but it's a little disheartening to see all of these governors, Republican governors, demand that people wear face masks, or let's stop calling them masks, Liz. What people have on their faces in no way resembles a medical mask that is going to help stop this virus.
0: Yeah, I think that's the difficulty I have with it now. I wear a mask because I can't go anywhere in Virginia without a mask on. Not that I go that many places, but I need a mask to go to the grocery store, to go to Whole Foods, to go to Costco, which is pretty much the only things open here or a restaurant, which those are open, but I don't need to wear a mask when I'm sitting at a table because I guess then I'm not contagious or it's not contagious, but whatever. (laughs) Anyway, when I do go out and I see people in the store and Costco, what, they consider a mask or I guess what passes muster for like official mask wearing to avoid whatever jail time, I guess, is the alternative <laughs> is a made,
1: unmarked federal agents seizing you and your property.
0: Well, they're not prosecuting violent crimes anymore. So what else are they going to do except patrol the aisles of Costco for, you know, mask violators? But they're not. They're not. These masks, I mean, I see people with fabric. I see people itching under their mask, taking their mask off. And so it's like you really wonder if this is about hygiene or if this is just about getting people to do what you say, because I just don't see how anyone could think that maybe 50, 60, 70 percent of the masks out there are not even remotely um, prevented, you know, or, or preventative or, or whatever. I, I just don't see it.
1: So, my husband and I went out to dinner uh, Saturday night and we're sitting at this really nice restaurant and we did not wear masks walking in, even though there were signs all over. We, of course, ignored it. So, we're sitting in the bar table. <laughs> you can't sit at the bar, but you could sit at its high top table in this bar restaurant. And I'm watching these people walk in with the most disgusting things around their faces. The men who have these weird bandanas, like, what is that? That's not a mask. You don't even have it secured properly. You're taking it on and off as you're eating and drinking and talking touch with your hands. And the whole thing grosses me out. But that defies the idea of some kind of serious medical grade mask. There's, How filthy are those? Oh, like for I can't people even. that
0: are using like bandanas or scarves, or that one that like is kind of like a mini turtleneck, you know, where you people wear it around their neck but then like pull it up. How filthy are those things? Disgusting. I mean, they have to be pretty dirty to the point where people are going to start getting like acne or rashes on their face because you're not really supposed to put dirty rags on your skin face like that, your skin. So, you know, if I saw people wearing, you know, like N95s that were fitted, maybe right. you couldn't make that case that it would help or cut down from breathing in or sending out, you know, virus droplets and, you know, infectious virus droplets. But some of this stuff that I see, I just, it's like, is this just to, to see what you can get people to do? Because I just don't see how this is in
1: any way preventative or helpful. It's not at all. And here's my my thing about these masks. And so Trump is now saying everyone needs a mask. The kooky uh, governor of Ohio, Mike DeWine, who looks like a caricature and it should not be running a state at all. He Issued a mandatory mask order yesterday. So, Asa Hutchinson does. So, it's not just a Democratic thing, it's Republicans doing this too. My thing is if you are going to make this a serious public health initiative and really deny people's freedoms, I mean, this impairs your basic needs, right? Breathing, eating, speaking, <laughs> smelling. So if you are, if these government officials are going to issue these orders, then number one, issue a medical grade N95 mask to every person, every child, every adult, require them to wear it at all times. Why should you be able to take it off at home when a household is one of the top vectors for spreading the disease? Well, don't give you have any ideas, risk. Julie. Well, but I mean- this is what, this is the <laughs> point. I know, I should God, next week it'll be, here's the state-issued N95 wear at all times, including, you know, sleeping during sex, et cetera. So, but that is the point. This is, and this is a ruse. This is a way for these elected officials to make it look like they're doing something serious when they're not. Because they have no answers. It's a virus. It spreads. It attacks certain, a tiny part of the population it's lethal to. The rest of us get it, get over it, or get it and never know we even have it, and we need to go on with our lives. Well,
0: I think that what would be the most helpful is if people just took responsibility to assess their own and their family situation. If you're very vulnerable, if you have pre-existing conditions, if you're immunocompromised, then you need to take certain steps that perhaps somebody who's younger and very healthy doesn't need to take. But that choice is being taken away that people can't say, hey, I'm just not going to go out for a while because, you know, I'm vulnerable or things like that. It's just I don't know. I just think it's stupid. It's one of it's a typical move by a politician who wants to basically put a bandaid on something that has nothing to do with the, the, with their problem at all, but it's something they can point to and say, look, we're fighting the virus because we're forcing people to wear masks. And it's like, there's no evidence that the masks actually stops the virus, but that doesn't matter. All that matters is that they're doing something. They're just doing something, you right. know, and, and, but that's they, that happens all the time in politics, right? I mean, they're constantly coming up with useless solutions to other problems that aren't related to the solutions. So it's it's um, all it's doing is really just pissing people off. And then it's giving license to the Karens of the world that are, you know, on mask patrol, making sure that, you know, you're wearing your mask and um, that you're following the rules and they think that they're going to die. I'll tell you yesterday I was walking on the sidewalk um, outside my townhouse um, like I was on a public street. It was pretty early, so there weren't a lot of people out, but there was some a gentleman coming towards me. He was kind of far away. He had a mask, and it w- I did not have a mask on because I was moving my car. I had to move my car because I'm having work done on the front of my townhouse, whatever, so I had to move my car. So I was moving my car, and then I was went out to go bring it back because I could bring it back, and I didn't have a mask on. Because I w- this was like a maybe a five minute endeavor, you know. Mm-hmm. And right. somebody comes towards me, walking towards me. He has a mask. It's under his chin, you know, it's around his ears, but like under his chin. And I would say once he got like five feet away, he pulled his mask up as he walked by me. <laughs> and I was like, okay, right. I guess all right. I mean, I don't know. We were outside, by the way. This was not indoors. This was mm-hmm. outside in in the oppressive heat of Washington, DC. So, you know, okay, you know, whatever. I don't know what to say to that. I'm like, all right, dude, nothing. I, you probably saved your life. I don't know. You know,
1: I, there's just nothing to say. It's been going on for months. It's, I recall being down in Florida outside jogging and these people were like flying off the sidewalks. And this was like April after this started. Uh, and I'm like, what do you possibly think I'm going to do to you? Like we're outside, I'm literally going past you in a matter of three seconds. So that kind of hysteria, I thought for sure would have died down by now, is getting worse.
0: Well, because the media is helping it get worse, right? I mean, you know, the job of the media is to inform the public of information that's important. And we don't have a media that does that. The media is has a political agenda and it only transmits information that's useful to its agenda so instead of giving people information putting out all different kind of studies talking to different medical professionals and different scientists you have the media that is just hell-bent on absolute scaring scaring shit out of everybody constantly um i don't watch cnn but I do check CNN's website a couple times a day, and it is just doom and gloom. And as a result, people are literally hysterical. They probably do think, Julie, that when they when you run by them, if they didn't put a mask, one of those magic virus droplets is going to fly up their nose <laughs> and kill them. You know? <laughs> because what? How many different news outlets have put together, um, you know, animated virus droplet trajectory? Oh pieces? God.
1: Right. Remember the New York Times the New York animation? Times has that had was one. hilarious. Yeah.
0: I think yep. NPR has had one. The Atlantic—they've all shown you. I just saw one today. I swear to God, I just saw one today, which was like, why the ba- a bar is like a horrible place. You know, is it is a horrible, filthy place where you can get COVID? You know, and then it was like a little animation showing you how your particles go from one place to another. And so, yeah, the media. Has a has a vested interest in keeping people hysterical, keeping our economy down, keeping people you know miserable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that's what they're doing, and and it's worked. I mean, I can't think of anything more frightening to the to the average non scientific person than a, a virus that's you know killed a lot of people and done it quite visibly. You know, where we were watching people in China die. We were watching people in Italy die. And then, of course, New York, which is just a slaughterhouse, um, de Blasio and Cuomo slaughterhouse. So, of course, they're preying on people's fears. So people freak out and then they walk by you. They put their mask on because they really think that, you know, the magic virus is going to somehow get in there. I don't know.
1: And the consequences, it will take years I mean, just in the past week or so, I talked to a friend at a party on Saturday night. She said she has not seen her newborn granddaughter in five months, hasn't seen her since the day she was born, because the parents are panicked, thanks to the pediatrician, of having this perfectly healthy woman go see her newborn daughter, has not held her, seen her in five months, which is not just you know devastating as a grandma, it's not healthy for the parents or for the baby to be so isolated. Um, are there a lot of newborn
0: babies that have uh, that die from COVID? I mean, last I checked, there aren't any, but you know, maybe that's just, I'm not getting the right information.
1: No, there, there is no science, but it doesn't matter because these pediatricians, what risk do they have telling a new mother, don't have your parents around your baby in case something happens, so he's covered it's no skin off his nose to say it. Well, they
0: probably, to honestly, to be to be, they probably have to because if they said, look, there's really no risk, it's not a problem, and the baby gets virus, guess who gets a lawsuit? Right, exactly.
1: So this is all CYA. Um, another friend whose son just graduated top of his class at U of I um, had how, multiple job offers. Nothing. Uh, all the job offers have completely disappeared. Another friend whose son lost his you know, graduated. It's funny a year ago, these kids were getting signing bonuses for new jobs straight out of college. And I mean, we we're talking, they were hired four or five months before they graduated from college with signing bonuses. Great. He lost his job. Can't find another one on unemployment. You know, these kids gain weight, their relationships and, you know, they're back at home with mom and dad plans to move out are gone. Um, you know, it, it, So you just hear daily the stories, the impacts of the human toll of this lunacy. Um, Well, entire industries
0: are wiped out and they're not going to come back. mm -hmm. A lot of these industries, a lot of these, it's really small businesses and medium sized businesses that are taking the hit. It's not Amazon. It's not Walmart. It's not Target. It's not the grocery stores, and it's certainly not any any like Doordash, <laughs> as we were talking about before the show, um, or the delivery services. But it's really going to take out the middle class, which is what it's designed to do. It's designed to protect the the Bezos, the the Bill is, mm-hmm. and it's designed to take out you know Frank's hardware store. That's that's what it's doing, and And of course, these larger companies aren't going to make any financial commitments until things stabilize and they look at like what is the new normal, because I don't think things are going to ever go back to the way that they were before the virus. I think it'll take some time because a lot of these businesses are just gone forever for right now. They're not going to they're not just sitting waiting, waiting to open up as soon as we get the green light. Um, I also read somewhere, I think it was on uh, Associated Press, that something like 59% of people say they're not going to renew their gym membership. Well, that's that's a business.
1: Oh, great. That's great, too. That's super healthy. That's
0: not, yeah, I mean, that is not obviously not good for you. But also, how many businesses, I mean, when you're talking about gyms, there's a lot of small business gyms that are local. You know, it's not just 24-hour fitness. Um, chain, national chains out there. There's right. a fair amount of smaller gyms that are neighborhood, you know, neighborhood gyms. So those are, those are gone. That's, that's going to be gone.
1: There also was so, a list. I, I don't know if it was New York times or somewhere this week of all the number of restaurants that are closing for good. Um, not, and I mean, this impacts your neighborhood, your town, your community. Again, to your point, it's not the big chain restaurants that are going to be going out of business. It's your favorite little sushi place. It's your favorite neighborhood Italian joint. Those are the places that are closing up. And the explanation was, yeah, exactly. That's been in the family, you know, for generations. Now they have to close, not just because people are afraid to go out, which I don't understand, but okay, fine. Um, but I, we go out all the time. So like when we were in Florida and they opened up the restaurants, we were like the first people at Capitol grill. Like here we are. <laughs> Which, well, were, the, were they busy when you did that? When you went out, were there, was it busy? Well, when they first opened in Florida, it was only 25% capacity. So, and it, it was just, you know, it was so different because the tables were all seat, you know, far apart and the servers all had masks on, but they were so happy to be back at work. And we were just, happy to be out. Um, But these restaurants are saying, we're the first target. So as soon as an idiot like Andrew Cuomo, who can't give up his daily coronavirus briefing, um, just says, okay, well, now we're going to shut down restaurants again. Well, you can eat outside, but not indoors. Okay, well, you can eat indoors, but only 50% capacity. Well, now it's 25%. And your tables have to be six feet apart. And you can't do parties more than four or five or whatever they pretend the science is. There's
0: just no way a business can sustain like that. You know, I went to um, a restaurant that I like a couple of weeks ago to meet a friend for lunch. And I, you know, I think it was the first time I'd been out since the virus hit here in, in Virginia. And my friend who I met, we were the only two people in the restaurant. And I've been there for lunch before. And it's been pretty busy um, because there's businesses around it and people go there for lunch. And it's been busy. There were We were the only two people there. Now, how long can that restaurant, when it's not a chain, you know, it's not part of a big restaurant group. It's just a, a restaurant. How long is that going to be able, are they going to sustain? They have rent to pay. I, I, I just don't, I don't, they have to buy food to cook mm-hmm. to make meals. And I felt really bad because this particular restaurant had tried so hard. Like when they handed me the menu, they were like, Um, I'm only giving you one menu and, you know, when you're done, we're throwing it away. It was like on paper, you know, it wasn't a, one of the normal menus, which is like a plastic. I know. Right. They're like, we'll have to throw this away right away. Okay. You know, they were trying really, really hard to follow all the rules, but I don't see how that can sustain very long. And so what it's going to do is prop up the wealthier businesses, the bigger businesses, it's going to wipe out the middle class. And that, I think, is what it's intended
1: to do, to be honest. Um, So let's talk about the, uh, the other factor that's driving small businesses to close, which you've been covering, which is this insane violence. I'm sorry, correction, protests by demonstrators in the inner cities. And you have been following that pretty closely. What the heck Portland uh, why don't you talk about that, what's happening there and how embarrassing for that mayor last night to go into the crowd and be basically attacked. By people I don't think it's embarrassing. Doing.
0: I mean, I don't think I don't think he has enough self-awareness to be embarrassed. But basically what's going on is that there's obviously crime sprees all over the country in the big cities right now, because there's been a lot of show that the um, politicians, the local politicians, the mayor and the city council are, are going to defund the police. They hate the police. So this sort of is like a green light to your your average like robber, looter, um, you know, I guess rapist. I don't know. So there's that. And those are hap- that's happening in the big cities, like just Gun violence is up, deaths are up, but Portland is just super special because in Portland they are, I guess, protesting for social justice by trying to burn down a federal courthouse because um, that helps people who I well, guess obviously, are of Liz, racism. I don't what know. What
1: do you not understand? I know. So this Duh. has been
0: going on in Portland, which is basically a shithole country. Um, and it's been going on for at least 50 days. And Portland is a notorious Antifa uh, hub. There's a lot of Antifa activity there. And so for about 52 days, they, the Antifa people in Portland have been trying to burn down a federal courthouse. Um, and finally, uh, and a lot there's a lot of video of this. Now, the video isn't on the mainstream media, um, but you can see the video on Twitter. Andy No, who's a journalist, he's covered Antifa for a long time, has a lot of good footage that, again, you won't see on television um, of just fires being set, um, incendiary objects being thrown. And there are people in this courthouse, by the way. It's not just a building. There are people inside of it as well. They're trying to set it on fire. They're breaking things. Um, They're sending incendiary devices. And of course, the mayor of Portland... Ted Wheeler um, is you know he is not interested in having the police stop this the police are basically completely neutered in Portland and in Seattle too because of these liberal mayors and governors and attorney generals that uh, don't want to upset the nutters so they aren't telling the cops you know, just let it happen. Let the looting going on. Because it's, they're going, in, in Portland, they're going after the courthouse. But they're also looting businesses and stuff, too. It's not just directed at one place. They're um, smashing windows, robbing places, and that kind of stuff. So Trump Trump had enough and signed an executive order and sent in the Department of Homeland Security to protect the federal the federal courthouse. And now... Everybody is just so upset. They're not upset about the actual arson, explosives, violence at the courthouse to burn it down. But they are upset that there's people there now to stop the violence and the destruction. So now the story is that Trump has sent in stormtroopers that they have no name on them. You don't know who they are. Basically, it's like literally the stormtroopers in Star Wars are just all in white outfits with like white helmets. You can't see their names. You don't know their faces. They're just stormtroopers. And they're just picking up people and throwing them in vans and driving away. Well, that's what the media would tell you. But that's actually not what's going on. There are um, they're wearing camouflage uniforms because they're Border Patrol agents. They have Department of Homeland Security patches on their uniforms. Obviously, they have on helmets to protect them from the bottles and bricks that are regularly thrown at them. And they do not have their names on badges. They have numbers because they are being doxxed. I guess um, uh, the acting Homeland secretary, Chad Wolf said at a press conference that about 34 of these agents have been doxxed. So their names are released, their addresses, their family information has been released to the public. So, you know, if you're not a malefactor, why would you do something like that? So instead of putting their names out, they just have numbers. So now there's a big hubbub that Trump is sending stormtroopers in to all these shithole cities that their liberal mayors have just allowed to, these hooligans to just run wild, um, you know, because they don't want the police to do anything because the police are the bad people. And as a result... There's a lot of destruction. If you own a business in a downtown of a big city, get out. I mean, why would you stick around there? I mean, you saw that the small businesses were hurt by Chaz when that was in Seattle. And they just took over a couple blocks of that city um, before that was shut down. And so it's it really it's really hurts the businesses. I don't understand why these people stay in the cities but I guess they elect these politicians. And so they're, they're doing what they want.
1: What do you think, Julie? You know, I said early on, I wrote about this. I don't think Trump, I oppose the idea of sending federal troops into these cities to stop the looting. And I still think that they should not be doing the work of local police. A lot of local police departments are sort of standing down because their mayors are attacking them as. The villains. Um, so I still think that it's sort of a trap for Trump to fall into. But when you're talking about destroying federal property, I believe, I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but I believe that it's under the purview of federal government. No, it totally is. To it, protect this is, that property. Yeah, How can is, we let these, lo- these criminals set fire to a federal building? We We can't allow it because you have Ted Wheeler, the weenie, you know, he's complicit in all of this. He won't protect it. The police won't protect it. They can't. So what options are there? Just let them just burn down a federal building? Well, I mean, that that's what these
0: mayors and I guess governors and uh, law enforcement officials at the highest levels, like the D.A. and prosecutors that's what they want. I mean, Trump is kind of in a bad position because if he doesn't do anything, he looks weak. He's letting, you know, that they're just letting this go happen. Um, And a lot of people don't understand the relationship between the federal government and your state and local government. And they tend to blame the feds for a lot of things that really the feds don't have authority to do. And so Trump doesn't have the authority to send in police to like run a police force in a city like Portland. That's a city issue. That's a state issue. The only authority he has, though, is to protect the federal property. And that's what they're doing. But of course, the media and these politicians aren't portraying it like that. And really, traditionally, it's their job as local police to protect the federal buildings. That's the thing. And so they're not doing it. So on the one hand, it doesn't look good for him to let these animals destroy this federal property, but on the other, when he sends people in, now he's a stormtrooper. So it's,
1: you know, well, it's, it's- as usual, he can't win either way. Right. Um, but here in Chicago, we see our mayor. Um, Trump is off, has offered help to Chicago numerous times. I mean, not just now over the past few years, uh, 2000 people have been shot in the city of Chicago since the beginning of the year. Uh, 14 people were shot in just an insane video that looks like you can't believe this is. Of course, it's not downtown Chicago. It's in one of the few neighborhoods that's extremely dangerous. Um, So he's offered many times to help uh, the city. And the mayor, Lightfoot, continues to reject help. And I'm not sure. But then it kind of seemed the other day like she was open to it. I think she's let let some people
0: in, like she's letting in federal, like FBI, um, ATF, um, some of those people to help solve crimes. But I don't think that I, I don't know if there's any federal property in Chicago that needs to be protected. So there's I think he would have to like call to like invoke the insurrection act to go in just to put people like on the streets.
1: Oh, I know think there's federal courthouse. Okay. Well, all right, that's, that's, that's true, but they're yeah. just
0: focused on this Columbus statue. So <laughs> yeah, Which, <laughs> they just want to get rid of that. Um, so what in New York as well, there's a lot of street crime and a lot of vi- the violence is going up. And, you know, look, if, if you don't like the way that you're a local official is, is, prioritizing your public safety, then you need to vote them out, but you did vote them in. So that's
1: just it. I mean, that is the, so I think politically and just practically you, the, this is, these are the people that you elected. Now the mayor of Chicago was elected in a, I mean, not with a huge, I think there was like a 12 or 13 person primary Um. Nonetheless, though, she was elected. But these are the people that these residents put in charge. And it's not just the mayor. It's the city councils. It's, you know, all of the activist groups that take over these cities. That's what you bought into. And the people who are trapped in the cities who really can't go anywhere. I I do have compassion for the rich white liberals who stay in that city who are responsible for donating to these candidates and empowering them and et cetera. Those are the people I have no pity for um, because they have helped create that atmosphere more than the poor people trapped in the ghetto. They are the ones who are empowering these folks. So I kind of tend to think, how do you think this cuts politically for Trump? Does it make,
0: I think it's, it's good for Trump. and here's why if you look at the likely voters right who are likely to turn out and you divide them up into like hardcore trump people hardcore not trump people like they're never going to vote for trump and then all the other people you just need to focus on who are the people that aren't committed and the the thing is that for people who are political junkies are constantly exposed to news the only side you're hearing from repeatedly and from all in in on every medium is the the not trump we hate trump but so it's not really accurate it's like i read the articles in the new york times spinning this and saying about how You know, innocent people were getting tear gas, and they're not criminals. And these are peaceful people, even though there's like fires burning around them and explosives being lobbed at this courthouse. And the people reading that, those those people aren't those people are already lost. You know that that, it doesn't matter what what Trump does in Portland. They're never going to they're 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 never going to be possible Trump supporters. So, so I think for regular people who aren't hysteriacs and you know anti-Trump hysteriacs. Oh, I'm so stealing that word. Okay, you can. Um, that that public safety is a big deal. It's one of the most important issues for all people all the time. Is their public safety, and when they see their downtown destroyed or. You know, it was one thing when you had hundreds of people the streets with Black Lives Matter sign during the day and people were just doing that or they were cheering or that's one thing. When you see people that are dressed in all black and they're lobbying balls of fire at buildings and smashing things in and beating up people, that's a – people do not like that. Regular people, not – Again, hysteriacs or progressives, but just right. your regular everyday person. And so I think in the long term, it's smart for Trump to come out strong on this. It is. So we'll see. You know, the media, of course, is spinning it, of course. But, you know, again, people do not like social disruption like this.
1: It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. There were some interesting polling that came out this week, um, you know, cutting very specific in certain demographic groups. It'll be interesting to see, say, here in the Chicago suburbs, how this all will play out in the November election. Obviously, Illinois will not go for Trump, but we have two congressional seats up in the suburbs that flipped from Republican to Democrat in 2018, thanks to the help of my kin, you know, privileged white suburban moms. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out because there was a, this poll that came out showed that white suburban women were, I believe, the highest, the group with the highest percentage to say that uh, uh, these monuments should not be destroyed. They also were very opposed to the idea of all this violence in the inner cities and the idea that our founders are racist and that we should erase our history because of systemic racism, et cetera. So that was the first little glimmer. Of course, Trump is still way underwater with this demographic group that I think Republicans should just abandon because I'm sorry, these women are not rational thinking people, most of them, I'm sorry to say. Um, but I wonder how this will play out in some of these suburban districts that flipped in 2018 to the Democrats. Are these women really going to keep these people in power?
0: Well, let's just see how bad it gets, you know, because the left is always overestimating their support, right? Like it starts with something like a, a sort of happy idea that, no one can really oppose, right? All, you know, we don't want prejudice. Prejudice is bad, and white cops shouldn't kill black, you know, black people the way that you know, like we saw with um, <clears throat> the situation in Minneapolis. So. That that's a safe thing to get to get behind. It's an opportunity to virtue signal, do your peacocking, look super, you know, you know, concerned, socially engaged for people. Um, But that's gone. You know, we've gone from justice for, you know, Brianna, that poor girl that was, you know, shot Mm -hmm. and killed in a a mistaken no knock raid, which should be gotten rid of anyway, um, to we're burning shit down and we're going to set fires and we're looting and we're destroying businesses those those two people who support those two things are not the same so there's a line if they if the democrats had just stayed with the black lives matter marches and the social justice and all of the other i don't know changing the names of food right. brands or whatever things they're doing they think are going to heal the world but really just take power that would have been successful. The next, this this new step where they're beating up people, where they're setting things on fire, and they're destroying property, and they're hurting businesses, and they're and there's public safety issues with an accelerating gun crime. No, that's that's that is not good. I don't think people are going to support that. And these politicians have really backed themselves into a corner. It just like the, these impotent jackasses in the pacific northwest in seattle and portland where they're literally afraid of the progressives They they're afraid they have to tell the cops not to do anything what if what would happen to ted you saw okay so last night that Mayor of Portland, Ted Wheeler, went for some inexplicable reason. Thought it was a good idea to go down and talk to these protesters.
1: There's like a thousand of them. I mean, do, do these people work? Oh my God, I no. I can't. I couldn't believe the number of thugs. There's like a and thousand people. And at let's this. point out, most of them are white. They're all These white people. White kids. Yeah. Yes, they are. This, this is not black black, Lives They
0: Matter. say Black Lives Matter. There's a very few black people that I saw. They're all white. Yep. But he goes to address this like angry crowd, <laughs> you know, in the Coliseum, basically. It's like the Coliseum. And they are screaming, you need to resign. They projected their list of demands onto like a building behind him. Like, and one, the last one was, you need to resign. And this is the guy
1: who's Which we basically. we can all get behind.
0: Yeah, this guy, well, yeah. But this guy is the one who basically muzzled the police. Th- this is the guy where the police aren't prosecuting these people, these malefactors, it's not like this is their first brush with the law. These these people are in and out of like a revolving door justice system where they're just never taken seriously. So they just come out on the street and keep keep up with their their mayhem and chaos. So he goes to address them and they spit on him and they scream and they tell him to resign and they call him all these horrible names. And, and this is the guy that's basically done a lot of what they want. So – And the same in Seattle. Right. You saw how terrified the Seattle and the Washington politician was what was to, like, get rid of Chaz, you know. And again, Chaz not widely supported in Washington or Seattle, not like they have the numbers behind them. They don't. And yet they're terrified. So a lot of Democrat politicians are really painting themselves in a corner. They're going to – well, they're not going to be asked by the media because the media will not ask hard questions of them. But someone is going to ask them at some town hall or something and say, hey, do you support defunding the police? And they're going to have to answer. And right. I think, Well, I think, I think he, a lot of he, he
1: did interested. say no, right? Say he that again. Say, he did say no, right? Wheeler said no to defunding the police. Right. He did. But um, I think – where was it? Oh, in Michigan –
0: Gretchen Hitler like just defunds like cut 115 million dollars of police funding. It's like, yeah, Detroit's got no problems, so yeah, why not? I mean, they're they're cutting funding, a lot of funding. So they're getting a lot of what they want and it's still not enough, but still the Democrats are going to have to go on the record. They're going to have to say whether they support defunding the police and that is a tough question because the, normie, the normal people don't want the police defunded. They don't want right. the police funding cut at all.
1: I think that they really believe, the left really believes that this chaos will backfire on Trump, that keeping, and again, I, I do think that this is kind of an outgrowth of These schools and universities been closing down. Not that a lot of these kids would be doing that, but it certainly gives them something to do. I mean, if you're if you're a kid who's been stuck inside your you know little tenement for the past since mid March, and you see the only activity that's allowed right now is looting and rioting, you're going to join, right? And so that's why they're they're (laughs) trying to keep these poor kids down for another three or four months Well, it's the only, only non-restricted
0: activity right i mean right. it's literally the only non-restricted activity that you can be involved in and fortunately um in a stroke of genius they the p- people have to cover their face so it's kind of convenient you right. know that is um true but yeah i but are these people gonna vote And how many of them are there versus other people who are affected by public safety? I don't I think this is going to backfire on the Democrats because I don't see it slowing down. I think it's just going to keep ratcheting up.
1: Yes, I think so. And I think the other thing that's going to be bad is hold on you talk because my dogs are barking.
0: Yeah, I do. I don't see the violence toning down. I don't. I don't see people walking away and saying, OK, we've made our point. I guess we're not going to try and get rid of the courthouse or get rid of this Christopher Columbus statue. And I think the politicians are in a place where they have to give some lip service, but not too much lip service where they're alienate so the people who aren't, you know, don't consider themselves progressive agitators. So th- this is a tightrope. And, you know, the people who are talking about Trump being um, overly authoritative and he's trying to stir up a race war over this, this isn't even a racial issue anymore. You know, it's convenient for progressive activists to cloak themselves in these quasi allegedly virtuous um, activities that they're fighting for social justice. But the actual people they claim to fight for are not down with this there was an interview um i saw with some residents in on the south side of chicago they're african-american and they were asked you know do you want the police cut and they were like no we don't want the police cut we want more police they're begging for protection so it's a very um if this keeps going i mean if this had started maybe closer to the election I think it would be able to be something that could be parlayed into um, a political advantage. But the longer this goes on and the longer it goes on, it has to keep ratcheting up. And so the more extreme it gets, the more likely it is to really backfire and for people to get sick of it and for people to say, hey, you know what? Let Trump call in the military and stop this. You know, there's just too much damage. I read somewhere that there's been $25 million of damage, I think, in Seattle, just wow. from this in, this alone. So it's a really, um, I just don't see how this
1: benefits anybody. Yeah. And the polling, too, is starting to bear that out also. You know, most voters, I'm just looking at a Rasmussen poll right now, most favor use of federal cops to fight crime in some cities. I have to imagine this is plenty of people in the cities as well. Um, with just 36% opposing. Um, let's see, Democrats by 53 to 39% margin are opposed, of course. But independents, 48% want the feds to get involved, 39% do not. So that's kind of interesting. Even for Democrats, which usually, you know, anything against Trump, it's like 99%. Right. <laughs> so even to have it just, you know, 14 Point spread between Democrats who want it and those who don't, um, it is sort of interesting how this is all, how this is politically probably going to benefit Trump. So before we wrap up, if you're Trump, you know, we're now what, three and a half months away from the election, which we won't know on election day or probably for weeks after who the president is. But as we get ready to, launch into the official campaign season with Joe Biden remaining in his basement until he emerges to give some nonsensical speech about child care or some such that he gave this week, then scoot off the stage claiming he had somewhere else to go, which means he had to go to his basement. So he didn't take questions yet again from the press. Um, what do you think Trump needs to do? Uh, I, I think he's getting off the ropes a little bit. Uh, the polling even... As skewed as it is, doesn't look as bad as it should for Trump. I know there was another uh, YouGov poll that came out. I think it was published yesterday that only shows Trump behind seven points for Biden. I don't
0: I don't look. You have to account for. I know you were a pollster, so
1: you know you want to I.
0: I think that there's more people now than there was in 2016 who are not saying that they're voting for Trump, but who are. So what that number is, I don't know. I also don't think Trump is as bad off as the media. One thing that the media likes to do is put out these national head to head numbers that are like Trump's behind 50 points from Biden. Guess what? There's no national vote. OK, that's not how we pick a president. Right. That is a weaponized poll that's supposed to demoralize, uh, you know, to picket Trump and to demoralize Trump supporters. It doesn't matter if a million more people in New York and in California decide to come out for the first time and vote against Trump also make, has no effect on the, you know, on the electoral college calculus. So, but what I think Trump needs to do is I do think he should continue to do, um, press conferences, like whether it's coronavirus or national safety um, he should keep them short, he should keep it tight, he should have experts. he That's the thing is that Trump doesn't understand. You know, I think he thinks it's like the Trump show for these things, but he also looks authoritative when he's standing behind the people who work for him and who are experts, when he brings out, you know, Chad Wolf at DHS or Ken Cuccinelli at Border Patrol.
1: or Let's just say we need to see more Chad Wolf.
0: Yeah, that's – he also is the greatest name ever, is – you I mean, know. come on. he's His he's name is Chad Wolf. What else <laughs> do you think he's going to do except send in some badasses to kick Antifa ass? But, like, he can have a press conference. And, you know, if he would just keep it very um, straight and just give out information and not take the bait on these questions. Because, look, the press, the White House press corps, a lot of these people, they're like hyenas. They ask. They're useless. They're supposed to be there to get information that is important to the public. And they ask questions like, oh, why aren't you wearing a mask? Are you going to get a right. vaccine? Why are you shaking <laughs> hands with people? These are no value to anybody who want to know where are we on a vaccine? How are we doing with hydroxychloroquine or whatever? We're not allowed to say that anymore. Or remdesivir, whatever it is. So I think if Trump continues to do this a couple times a week and comes out with his experts and says, here's what's going on. This is what we're seeing here. Things are calming down or over the long term, we're, our death rate is 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 staying stable, even though more people are positive or just coming out and doing it straight and, and commanding himself with authority. I mean, there's definitely a time and place to mock these people. But I do think that that's a bit tired right now and and. And in an election, you know, he needs to see that he's capable and competent in relation to, like, sundown Joe, right? Who's – right? who knows? And, I mean, I don't know how much longer they can hide Biden. I mean, the media is always going to treat him with kid gloves. But, you know, I don't know how much longer they can hide him and and give him the the hero edit. But Trump needs to reach – you know, to come – keep – you know, to present himself like he's capable. And that, so that's what I think he needs to do. What about you, Julie?
1: Yes, I think they need to be, well, first push way harder on Biden for continuing to hide, refusing to meet with reporters. Chris Wallace kind of brought this up in the interview with Trump, uh, which I I couldn't bear, I couldn't stand to put myself through because I can't. Oh, the Chris Wallace interview? But at least Chris Wallace acknowledged later that, Trump sat outside in the heat and the sun took all of his questions. Nothing was off limits. Nothing was off limits. And at least begrudgingly gave the president some praise for that. Also acknowledging that Joe Biden refuses to do that. Yeah. So uh, now would Chris Wallace be as tough? We know regardless, none of these interviewers would be tough on Biden at all. There would be strong parameters about what they could ask about, which would mean his son Hunter and Burisma and all of that that died after uh, impeachment. That would be off the table. Um, So we know how that would go down, but at least he has to the Trump people need to keep pushing on the fact that Biden keeps hiding. Trump is out taking these interviews. He's out meeting with his voters. He's back doing the coronavirus. You know, he's he's so active. He's engaged. And all over, he's yeah. engaged. And Biden continues to use the virus as a crutch to not only stay in his basement, to promote mail-in balloting, um, and to keep voters ignorant about his past record and what he plans to do as president, which as we now know, is embrace the far left radical wing of his party because he won't be running the show. Uh, the far left radicals will. And that's what the Trump people need to keep in mind. You know, it would be great for Trump to do an ad. Who will be in charge of the Biden yeah. White House? Because we know it won't be him. Who would be Attorney General? Hillary Clinton? Would we get Eric Holder back? Would we get Loretta Lynch's Kam- option? Kamala Harris? Yeah. Would she be running the Justice Department? Like list of AOC. Would she be head of EPA? Which, I mean, get that list in front of the American people and remind them or inform them who will be in charge. It won't be Joe Biden. Here's who it will be. And the reason why, is our friend Lee Smith calls it, the shadow White House, the Obama's mansion in uh, outside of D.C., they stayed there for a reason they still are running the resistance and the resistance will be in the white house if biden wins well, i think it's not that's something be the something resistance not anymore doing. really well, because right.
0: it's going to be the status quo but right. i think i think another good campaign ad about for trump would be to play off biden's like hiding you know like how in in a time of crisis, you need a leader who's not afraid to engage and get out, you know, and, and get out and do things. And you don't have the luxury of sitting in your basement because you're afraid and, you know, painting that as like a weakness of, of Biden. um, That also might be effective, but who knows, you know, we still have three months. We don't know how crazy things are going to get. We just, we just don't. I mean, anything can happen. Um, I'm. I. I have no idea. Actually, I don't know. But I. I just have absolutely no idea what's going to happen in November. The only thing
1: I know is the Republicans who I talked to at the beginning of the year were like, "Oh yeah, Trump's going to win. His tweets, and blah blah blah." You know, very blasé. Of course, they were going to vote for him. But now the Republicans I talked to are panicked. They are at. It's the first question I get from people. Do you think Trump will actually lose? And I'm like, yes, he actually could lose, not just lose the election fair and square, but they're going to try to steal it. People are now panicked at the thought that he will be removed from office, that he will lose and that Joe Biden and the Democrats will take over. Well, I
0: think that that's good, though, because I think because that's when people fight for it, that they're that they're scared. I mean, it was easy to say oh the economy's so good of course he's going to win and then kind of not get nervous not get out there talking to people not you know persuading those who can be persuaded um so yeah now people are nervous and like again we're having a little snapshot into what law and order will look like under a Biden administration because probably a lot of cabinet positions are You know, future cabinet positions are currently mayors and governors of these states that are, you know,
1: letting themselves
0: get burned to the ground. So, yeah. So that's our hour. It went by super fast. It was a little over an hour, but uh, we will be back next Friday. Have a great week, and we can't wait for you to tune in next week. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week.